Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Finish the statement for me. The apple doesn't fall far from the the tree. I've said it often when they say, when we had children, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That scared me to death. I didn't want my kids to be like me. I was hoping they would fall closer to their mom's tree, right? And less like their dad and a little more like their mom. What does that statement communicate? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It, It reminds us that we often take on the characteristics of those who have most deeply and closely influenced us through life. I'll have people sometimes that might know somebody that influenced me, and and they'll say, do you know so-and-so? And And I'll say, oh, yes, that was either whatever, my teacher, my coach, a a family member, that's my dad, my mom, whatever. And they'll say, oh, I could see that in you. Oh, there's this that you do that reminds me of them. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and, and, and those that most deeply and closely influence us often, we take on some of their characteristics. Because every one of our leaders throughout life is a flawed, sinful human being, made up of good and bad characteristics, that thought can sometimes, as I just mentioned, not be the most pleasant thought. And I don't want want to become that in my life. I don't want to take that characteristic on. And sometimes that thought can cause fear in our lives or discouragement or, or even a feeling of helplessness in our lives. Well, I guess the rest of my life will just be defined by the way a leader in my life treated me or trained me. What I saw in their life, I guess I'm just doomed to repeat it. My leader's mistakes are destined to continue to adversely affect me indefinitely, we sometimes think. Progressive insurance, I mentioned this two weeks ago when we preached uh, toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. Progressive insurance has an ad campaign that cracks me up. Maybe it's because I'm right in that age where we're starting, my wife and I maybe starting to turn into our parents a little bit. But but this ad campaign cracks me up and it talks about the idea uh, that it's a campaign for homeowners insurance and they play on the humorous aspect of the truth that we often naturally take on some of the characteristics of our authorities. Their premise is that once you buy a home, you begin to turn into your parents. And I don't often show videos in my preaching, but these crack me up, so we'll show this commercial right here about 30 seconds and see what I'm talking about. How many of us still write checks? He said, without writing a check, which you shouldn't do anyways. I think we've got one more just because they make me laugh and then we'll get into the Bible. I've got a lot of Bible here. And again, what's the thought there with that ad campaign? The thought is that we naturally start to resemble those who are most close. And one reason that's so funny is because we see some of that in our own lives. And Dr. Rick and the ad campaign is there to help people not to turn into their parents. And I would say this message here is to help us and to show us that toxic leadership, and we talked about this two weeks ago, if we, we have, we'll have multiple leaders from the day we're born till the day that we die in different levels in our lives. And at some point, all of us will have leaders who will have treated us in unhealthy ways or what we might call toxic ways. And by the way, before you're too hard on those leaders, all of us will have influence in leaders over people. And there will be times where all of us will treat people in unhealthy or unwise ways because we're not perfect leaders. 
And there will be some level of toxicity. Every husband, every wife, every mom, every dad, every teacher, every principal, every coach, every pastor, there is no such thing as the perfect. Now we can try to be more like Christ and messages and series like this hopefully help us that it doesn't define us. But if that's true, if that's the case, this message is to, to help us understand that. And tonight's message is a follow-up from two Sunday nights ago. If you missed that one, you can catch it on our podcast or our website, all the places where our messages are archived. But I preached then, toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. And tonight's message is toxic leadership doesn't have to define you, part two. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jonathan's response to the toxic leadership in his life in the form of his father, Saul. We're studying King Saul. This is message number eight in this series on toxic leadership, studying the life of King Saul. And tonight in part two, we're not going to look at Saul and Jonathan. We're going to look at Saul and David. We're going to look at David's interactions with the man that he would replace as the king of Israel. The man that was his leader, was his predecessor, and would become his father-in-law, was his best friend's father. He would end up marrying King Saul's daughter. And I, I already told you this, but we are going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. And I promise, if you'll pay attention on purpose and follow along, you will see some amazingly powerful truths from scripture tonight. And, and, and so I'd encourage you to, uh, as we go and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and follow along when we say look down, do your best to look down and see it for yourself. It's easy when we're looking down to read five or six or seven or eight verses, it's easy to let our minds wander and, and to start thinking about something else, but try to zone in and let God's word speak to you tonight. I believe that these truths that we see here, if you struggle with some of the hurts or the ways that either you've been treated or the ways you've treated others, I believe that some of these truths could transform your spirit and your response to those who have hurt you or will hurt you in your life. And I want us to see by way of introduction, number one, we're going to see in the scripture here, David's introduction to Saul. The first time that they meet one another is found here in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. In this passage, David has already been anointed king of Israel. God has already told Samuel that I'm rejecting King Saul. Now, King Saul was still the leader, but I guess you could say it might be kind of like after the election when you have a president-elect and there's one that's still serving as president, but his days are numbered until the inauguration and the new president comes in. That's kind of what's happened here. God has already rejected King Saul and his, his children and his family from continuing on the throne. David has been anointed, but after his anointing, he just went back out to guard the sheep. After his anointing, he didn't, he didn't have some big fanfare. They, they had a little bit, but then he just went back out there. And this is, he is not yet king. Saul is still king, and he's going to be king for quite some time. Notice 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number 17. And what is happening here is that uh, in four, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. An evil spirit has come into Saul. Saul is not in a good place, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Verse 17, the Bible says, and Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. May I just stop and say here, is you're a young person or an old person, whatever the case is, and you're doing what is right and you think nobody's watching. Number one, God is watching. And there was somebody here that when the, 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 there was a need for a young man that had certain characteristics, somebody in King, Saul's, uh, in, in King Saul's kingdom had taken notice of this young man. And if you will stay right, do right, do what you're supposed to be doing, in God's time, he will open do doors of opportunity and influence for you. You don't have to push those things open. God will guide and lead. You focus on being who you're supposed to be, and God will direct you where you're supposed to be to do what you're supposed to be doing. Verse number 19, wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Notice that he was just kind of not important at all. He was just out there in the, in the fields taking care of sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine with a kid and a kid and sent them by David, his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. 
And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. And we see here, we see here a really great introduction, much like Saul's life and reign as king. We see a really good beginning. Here, it's, it's all good. David comes. Saul's in a really bad place. David serves. David plays. He's a, a mighty, a cunning warrior. He's a valiant man. Saul sends back to Jesse and says, hey, can I keep him? Can I hire him? Can you let him stay here? And, and he's such a blessing to me. That's David's introduction. And, and I want to make mention one more time, a reminder, David had been anointed, but he was back caring for the sheep. David goes back to obscurity before God brings him back. And a great reminder, again, in the quiet moments of our lives, sometimes preparation for greatness in God's plan is filled with a whole lot of obscurity and loneliness and time out of the spotlight. So this is where we see it. What ends up, what, what, what we're going to see is the next time that they're, they're going to be here, David's actually going to go back to his dad. He's going to go back home. And the next time they're going to see each other is this story you may have heard of in the Bible. Um, talk to me, try to help me if you've heard of this. David and Goliath. That's the next time they're going to see each other. And David is going to run to, his brothers were the, the warriors. They were in the army. And he's going to run with some cheese. He's going to run with some food, some, some rations to his brothers. And the story of David and Goliath. That's David's introduction to Saul. For the rest of this message, we're going to see David's treatment by Saul. We're going to see David's treatment by Saul and, and David's response to Saul. I want you to see it now, the next, uh, the next chapter. This is the story of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter number 17, let's skip over for sake of time. We're going to go through about five or six chapters here, pulling a few verses out and seeing this. And I think we understand a lot of the, the timeline here already. So I'm going to try to move quickly through it. But I want you to see chapter 17, David's treatment by, uh, by Saul. What was Saul's treatment of David? Chapter 17, verse 32. And David said to Saul, would you actually, would you read verse 32 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. That's quite a young man of faith and of boldness and of courage. Saul's army is cowering like a bunch of cowards in the bushes. And David says to Saul, I'll go fight. I'm ready. We serve the living God. I'll go out there. Nobody needs to be scared. I'm ready. Put me out there. Put me in, coach. Let me play. Notice what Saul's response is, verse number 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You've got no shot. You've got no chance. Who do you think you are? Get out of my sight, you little pipsqueak. You're not going out there. You're barely even shaven. This guy's a giant, he's a trained killer. And I see the first thing here. I see Saul's treatment of David. What did he do? He doubted David's potential. He doubted David's potential. He doubted his abilities. God can't use you. And, and may I say sometimes, and we need to take inventory in our own lives as husbands or wives or parents or leaders or teachers or wherever God, a boss at work, wherever God's given us influence, toxic leaders often look for and point out your weaknesses. Now that's not to say uh, godly leaders are supposed to help correct areas of, of concern or struggle and help guide you through that. But, but toxic leaders are always finding what's wrong and why you can't do this and how you'll never measure up and you can't be that. And, and, and those under our leadership ought to hear much praise, not unnecessary or undeserved praise, but, but what God can use you and, and you, you have a bright future with God and, and God's not done with you. And I believe that you could fulfill God's plan for your life. Again, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking and just whatever, you know, that, that whatever you, whatever you want to say. No, I'm saying here we see that, that Saul doubted David's potential. He doubted that he pointed out David's weaknesses and why he couldn't do what God wanted to do with him. I want you to see not only Saul's treatment, but look at verse 37. Would you read verse 37 aloud? David's response, verse 37, ready? Begin. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. 
What was David's response to a leader doubting his potential, to a leader pointing out his weaknesses, to a leader focusing on what he couldn't do, not what he could do with God's help? What was David's response? Saul doubted David's potential. David trusted God's power. You notice his response wasn't to justify he didn't even, even in telling the story about the, 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 the bear and the lion, what did he say in verse 37? David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. You know what David's response was? You're right. I can't beat Goliath, but my God can. I, I, can't, I can't fight. I'm not strong enough and I'm not trained enough. You're right, but, but God has shown himself faithful in my life, so I believe that God can use me again. And when, when, when his leader told him what he couldn't do, he told his leader what God could do. And, and may I say there are some that even into their adulthood sometimes struggle because you had a leader in your life that always told you what you couldn't do. May I just say, you don't need to respond by proving what you can do. You need to respond by pointing to what God can do. Trust God's power. Don't, don't believe that lie. Well, that's, I must never, I'm, I can't be this and I can't be that and I can't be successful in that and God can't use me there and I could never teach this and I could never serve there and I could never, I could never accomplish that because somebody told me all these things. Oh no, what was David's response? The Lord that delivered me, the Lord that showed himself strong in my times of weakness when nobody was watching, when I was scared to death. I think if a lion and a bear come to eat your, your, your sheep, you might be a little bit scared. I know I would be. In my times of fear and uncertainty, when I wasn't sure what God could do with me, the Lord that delivered me out of that, he can deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David's response, he trusted God's power. Look at, continue the story, chapter 18, verse number two. By the way, we know the rest of the story. Spoiler alert, David wins. Really, God wins the, the battle using David. And he kills him with the sling and he cuts off his head with the sword. And, uh, and, and, and then in chapter 18, look at verse number two. Chapter 18, verse two. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Saul said, this guy's in my house. This guy's serving me. He's not leaving. This guy's amazing. He killed Goliath. He's mine. Let's see. Let's see and, and what happens here. Jo Jonathan and David become very close. Verse number five, everything's going good. Saul loves David, verse five. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. And also in the sight of Saul's servants. Life doesn't get much better than this for David. He just, he just killed Goliath. Saul said, you're not going back home. You're staying here. You're, and I'm putting you over. I'm putting you in a position of leadership, promotion. All the people loved and respected David. Saul's servants loved and respected David. Life is good for David. Look at verse number six. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments. By the way, notice it says they came out to meet King Saul. They weren't, they weren't downplaying Saul's leadership or authority. They were rejoicing about, because David was actually a reflection of Saul's leadership. They were rejoicing that Saul had such a strong man in his kingdom. And, and notice what it says in verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands. Notice that conjunction there. The next word after thousands. What's that three-letter word right there? What is it, church? What is it? They didn't say Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. This wasn't a comparative David is better than Saul. In my opinion, as I read it, life is good in Israel. We've got an amazing king, and, and we've got an amazing young man that the king has brought into our kingdom. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, but a danger for any leader. What do we see? Verse number eight. Would you read the first five words together there up to Roth? Ready? Begin. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And, and to me, they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Isn't it amazing that pride and insecurity in a leader can get us to think all kinds of crazy things? By the way, what did David's behavior show him? Verse number five, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Whatever Saul said to do, David did. 
David had been a wonderful, wonderful follower, had never given Saul any reason to get fearful or scared that he's trying to take away his kingdom. But because of one little song that wasn't even meant, in my opinion, to be a criticism of Saul, it was meant to rejoice in God's great victory in their nation. Saul was this insecure, uh, uh, prideful, fearful, just nobody, it's all about me, narcissistic leader. And what did he do? Oh, what's next? They're singing that about him. What's next? He's gonna try to take the throne from me. What's next? He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna try to stage a coup. Verse number, verse number, uh, uh, number nine. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. David didn't do anything to deserve that. And maybe you've been there. You've had somebody that you loved and served and they've eyed you from that day forward. And you didn't do it. Now, David wasn't perfect, but you, you didn't do anything to justify that treatment. Verse number 10, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. What do we see here? Saul's treatment of David here was undeserved harshness. Undeserved harshness, harshness. Look at verse number 12. Read verse 12 aloud with me, please. Ready, begin. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Insecurity and jealousy are hallmarks of toxic leaders. And they often come out in the form of bold power moves and in, in attacks and mistreatment of those that don't deserve it. Even those that have served them well. Understand that maybe that's what's happened to you or maybe if you're not careful, if you get lifted up in pride, if life becomes all about you, you'll mistreat those that love you the most and are the closest to you. Why? Because of your fear and insecurity. He eyed him that day and it said he was afraid. He was afraid of David for what? Because God loved David and David was using God. Made him scared to death and, and God wasn't with Saul like he had been before. And toxic leaders often, they feel the need to discredit everyone else around them so that they can be built up. They'll find what's wrong with every uh, a toxic family. will find what's wrong with every other family to tear that family down, to build them up. And, and maybe with you, you have children, you find what's wrong with every one of your children's friends to build up your family. A pastor might find what's wrong with every other pastor to show I'm the only one still serving God. Oh no, don't get lifted up in pride and view everyone else with insecurity and jealousy and how are they trying to hurt me and how are they trying to get back at me? No, no, no. Toxic leaders often think they're the the only one doing things the right way or that, that God could use. I want you to see David's response. Now, now remember, this wasn't like David didn't know Saul was mad at him. He tried to kill him twice. He escaped out of his hand two times. I want you to see David's response. Verse number 14, chapter 18, verse 14. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. What was David's response to undeserved harshness? David's response was incredible grace and wisdom. No revenge. No justifying. He just behaved himself wisely. He said, you know what? If my God's strong enough to take care of Goliath, he can protect me against the, this undeserved harshness and he can take care of Saul's heart. It's a dangerous thing. Maybe you've had a leader in your life that got lifted up in pride and mistreated you. It's a dangerous thing to live with a vendetta, with an anger, with a bitterness, hoping that you can get even with them or somebody else does. Oh no. No, behave yourself wisely in all your ways. Let God take care of it. I'll tell my team, sometimes we coach high school basketball. If you want to come out, we've got our first high school basketball games tomorrow night, 4.30 and 6, JV and varsity here at home. And I'll tell them if other teams, and by the way, some of our, sometimes our guys are the ones doing it, but other teams are playing dirty or talking trash, I'll say don't talk back to them. Let the scoreboard do the talking. Don't, don't talk back to them, especially you're winning by a lot and the team's in the fourth quarter, they're mad and they, they're getting angry, they're getting dirty. Don't retaliate. 
let, we, we play our game. We let the scoreboard do the talking. Let the final score come out and tell the story. And we'll walk out with, our, with respect. Again, their coach hasn't always been perfect at that. And they haven't always been perfect at that. But I've tried to teach that in my own life and in theirs. And you know what David is kind of saying here? You know what? In the middle of the game, he's playing dirty. And I don't deserve that. And that's against the rules. And you know what David's kind of saying? I'm going to go ahead and keep playing right and let the scoreboard do the talking. Let my life show the truth of the matter, the reality. He showed incredible grace and wisdom. I'm only going to give you four of these Saul's treatments and David's response. I want to give you a third one here tonight. Verse number 17. Verse 17 of chapter 18. And Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merab. Her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me. Listen to him. And fight the Lord's battles. He, he sounds very spiritual. He sounds very loving. I, I, David, I love you so much. I want to give you one of my daughters. And I want you to be strong and go fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, notice what he says, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Saul willing to use his own family to hurt his own daughter to get back at his enemy. And it's amazing when we allow that prideful, selfish, sinful toxicity into our hearts, how we will hurt those closest to us to get our own way. He said, and, well, it sounds good. David, I've got a daughter that, man, I'd, really, I'd love you to be my son-in-law. And go, go be valiant and fight the Lord's battles. And what's he thinking in his heart? I won't have to kill him. The Philistines will. He goes out there and tries to kill them. By the way, because we're going to see it here in a minute, there was a dowry in those days. If you wanted to marry a young lady, you had to give a dowry. I think I have two daughters. I think we should put that back into play for at least my daughters and maybe not have three sons. Maybe we won't put that back into play. And that, that might not work out so well for me. But they had to put a dowry and pay some big price to get their daughter. Well, well, well David's going to say here in a minute, I'm nobody. I'm a shepherd from a, from a, small, a small poor family. I can't, who am I to be son-in-law to the king? I can't be son. I can't afford your daughters. And here's what David's going to say. Well, I don't need any money. Just go bring me the evidence that you killed a hundred Philistines. What was his thought? He ain't killing a hundred Philistines. He might get 10 or 20 or 30, but one of them's killing him at some point. And I'm done with him. I'm done with this one that's done nothing but love me and serve me. Isn't it amazing how we can scheme and connive? And what do we see here in Saul's treatment uh, to David? Prideful manipulation. And what's the title of our message? Toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. Every time David's mistreated, what's his response? His response when, when he's questioned and doubted is to trust God's power. His response when he's mistreated and, and treated unfairly is to do what? Show grace and wisdom. What's his response when Saul's treatment is prideful manipulation, willing to use his family, his kingdom, his power, anything to get rid of David? Look at verse number 18. And David said unto Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Oh, Saul, no, no, I'm not worthy. I can't marry your daughter. Again, we see great humility in David. We see great respect in David toward, toward, toward King Saul. Verse number 20. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. I kind of just see him like that evil mastermind sitting in his chair. Oh, my daughter loves David. This is what I needed. Okay. He, David rebuffed my, my offer from Merab, and Merab ends up getting married to someone else. So now that, that, um, that plans out the window. Oh, I, I didn't lose my chance. Verse 21. And Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him. Look at that manipulation. Look at the evil heart. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain, one of the other, one of these daughters. In one way or another, you're going to be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants saying, commune with David secretly and say, behold, the king hath delight in thee. And all his servants loved thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing that I'm a poor man and, and lightly esteemed? They, again, Saul manipulating, conniving, scheming. Hey, go tell David how much I love him. And I want him to be my son-in-law. And David comes and he says, that's not right. I'm not good enough. I'm not from the right family. Verse number, verse number uh, 
uh, 20, let's see here, 25, oh, 24. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, on this manner spake David, David, David respects you too much, Saul. And Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desireth not any dowry, I don't need any money, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Thought he had outsmarted himself. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. And the days were not expired. He didn't wait. He went and killed 100, actually went and killed 200 Philistines. He said, Saul deserves more than what he's asked for. Wherefore David arose and went. He and his men and slew of the Philistines 200 men. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more, see it again there, church, afraid of David. It isn't interesting when you just follow God and love God and live for God, how that can make some people that call themselves followers of God scared and afraid. And Saul became David's enemy. What's that word at the end of verse 29? Continually. Verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David, what? Behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Saul's treatment, prideful manipulation. David's response, humble service. Humble service. Well, you don't know what they did to me. God does. You don't know how they treated me. I'm not trying to minimize pain or abuse. And if there's been something criminal or illegal, I'm not saying to cover it. I'm, uh, talk, uh, contact the authorities. I'm not, I'm not saying that what I am saying is don't let it define you. Don't let, it, don't let it become the rest of your life. I was listening to a podcast recently about dealing with some of the pains of, and, and hurts with, with, in serving God at times that can come as we serve in a, in, in a fallen world with fallen people, and we're fallen, sinful people. And the statement was made, those hardships, those painful seasons of our lives in, in the Christian life should not define us, they should refine us. Allow those events to refine you, to make you better. Don't let them define you, to bring them down to that level. Well, well, he's manipulative and scheming and narcissistic and selfish and prideful and, and, and he hates me and evil and cruel. You know what? I'm gonna respond with cruelty and selfishness. I'm gonna get back and I'm gonna tell everybody how he was wrong and I'm gonna let them know the, the real story and what they did. Oh no, that's not how David responded. How did David respond? Humble service. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to behave myself wisely, more wisely, more wisely. It says it three different times. He behaved himself more wisely. Saul was a manipulating, conniving, selfish jerk, willing to use his own family and hurt his own daughter to accomplish his sinful, prideful purposes. And be careful, church member, be careful, Christian, when we allow ourselves to get lifted up in pride and focus only on ourselves, it's amazing how we'll be able to do and say hurtful things even to those that we love most. Guard against that. Guard against it. Don't let the hurts you've received define you. Let them refine you. And then lastly, I want you to see in verse chapter 19, Saul's treatment, the last part of Saul's treatment of David, chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should, what are the last two words there, church? They should what? Kill David. Look at verse 10. Skip down to 19, verse 10. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. If I'm David, I'm, I'm kind of not going to be in the same room with Saul if he has a javelin in his hand anymore. I'm starting to sense a pattern here. Look at verse number 20, chapter 19, verse 20. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. And it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also what happened. The spirit of God around David and in Samuel's life was so strong. Saul sent some people to get David and, and, and a revival broke out. And so he sent some more and, and they started joining in. So he sent them, what was it? Time after time after time. How can I get David? How can I get even? How can I destroy his life? 
This is what Saul was doing. Chapter 22, skip over a couple of chapters. You can read in these chapters, we're skipping. It's David really exiled out alone. He brings to himself a group of a few hundred, uh, what, what we call David's mighty men. They really weren't, there, there wasn't a lot of mighty things about them. The, the thing that, that brought them all together was they were in debt. They were distressed. They were discouraged. They were, they were in pretty rough shape. And David gathered kind of these misfits and these outcasts to himself. And we call them David's mighty men because God used them to do some mighty things. That's what's happening in these chapters. David is out wandering in the wilderness trying to stay away from. He's been anointed king and he's exiled from his own land. He can't be with his family or anybody because Saul is hunting him. He's got a bounty on his head. Skip over chapter 22, verse number seven. Chapter 22, verse number seven. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Verse 8, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Here's what Saul said. Who do you guys think you are? Who do you, this David, is this little guy gonna give you, what kind of, he doesn't have power, what did he do? He made it a, a power struggle. I'm stronger, I'm more important. Who does he think he is? And be careful about people that, that want to pit you one against another. Well, are you on my side or their side? What's the, I'm on God's side, hopefully. It doesn't have to be that in the Christianity, in the church world, in ministry, it doesn't have to be, well, this is my tribe. And I'm not saying unity, for, uh, compromise at the, at the sake of doctrine. I'm not saying that. But we, we have far too many schisms and divisions. And, well, what side are you on? Well, what college did you go to? Well, what kind of, where did, what did you grow up in? Well, where was your, what's your degree from? Whatever it might be. And Saul said here, and notice that in verse number eight, how many times personal pronouns were used? Me, my, my. Me, me. Classic sign of a narcissist. Self-centered, selfish. He doesn't care about anybody else, doesn't care about his son Jonathan, doesn't care about his daughters, doesn't care about what God thinks, doesn't care about what Samuel thinks, doesn't care about, it's all about him and you hurt me and why'd you do this to me and what did David ever do for you and what can he do to you? And what do we see? Saul's treatment of David, I would suggest here. We just, it's, this is going on for years. I skipped over a couple of chapters, but for years we see unending cruelty. For years. He was mistreated through no fault of his own. Unending cruelty. Hey guys, we gotta kill David. We gotta kill David. Jonathan, we're gonna kill David. Jonathan goes and tells David, my dad wants to kill you. And David knows, so don't think, well, maybe David just didn't know that Saul was treating him this way. David knew. He had, been, he had, had a javelin almost go through his, his, his chest three different times or his head or something. He knew. And for years, he's, he's on the run. And you could say, what did I ever, I, I didn't ask for this. I was just trying to serve you, God. I was just trying to do right. Why would you allow this into my life? Why would you allow this pain and this hurt and this heartache? This doesn't make sense. Why would you allow, you anointed me and, and, and you chose me. Why would you allow the other king that you anointed to treat me like this? By the way, it doesn't always make sense the situations that you and I have to walk through. Sometimes through no fault of our own. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Don't be a, I'm not talking about a victim mentality that it's always somebody else's fault. But that was David's reality. He hadn't done anything to deserve this. Let's read, and we're almost done. Let's read chapter 22, verse number 13, continuing on with the story. And Saul is still trying to, to, to threaten people. And Saul, in verse 13, said unto him, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? Verse 14, Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house. Basically said, Saul, what is your problem? What did David ever do to you? He, he's, he's doing everything you asked him to do. He's your son-in-law. He's never raised his hand against you. He's never done anything against you. He goes at your bidding. He's honorable in your house. He's never tried to undermine you. What is your problem? Verse number 17. 
And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. How far, how low do you have to go? Saul said, kill the priests of the Lord. I don't care who it hurts. I've got to eliminate all of my threats. Thankfully, there were some people there in David's kingdom that stood up to his toxic leadership. And they said, we're not going to kill the priests of the Lord. David didn't do anything, and they didn't do anything. We're not going to do that. Again, I, I read all of those verses to show you years of lies, being hated, manipulation, bounty on his head, exile. Maybe, as you study it, as much as a decade of his life was spent in unending cruelty. Now, after all of that, we're not talking a week, a day, a week, a month. We're not talking he got one, one unkind text message. We're not talking he got an email that kind of said, uh, you know what I think about you? And, and by the way, w- one of those emails doesn't feel good. We're not talking about one email. We're talking about years of unending cruelty. Let's see David's response. Chapter 24, skip over. Chapter 24, verse number one. Chapter 24, verse number one. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. David only had a few hundred. He took 3,000 special forces, chosen men, out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And Renee, we've been there in En Gedi, those caves where David and his mighty men were and stood there. Saul had some some intel. He had some spies. He got the intelligence report. Said, we figured out where David is. And he said, all right, let's go, guys. I need need the 3,000 best guys with me. We're going to go. And so they go to travel. Skip down to verse 4. You've listened well. I told you a lot of scripture. I hope it's been a help. Let's finish it up. Verse four, and the men of David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, I'm sorry, um, the, oh, verse number three, verse number three, and he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. As you study this, I'm not trying to be humorous, but the Bible does tells everything. It, it gives the good, the bad, the ugly. Basically what happened here is, is that, that Saul had to go to the bathroom. And so he goes into a cave. That's what the term he covered his feet is. He goes into a cave and and he needs to find a a private place. So he's very vulnerable. He doesn't, and David's men are in this cave that Saul thinks, obviously thinks is empty. He's going to go, and again, I'm not trying to be rude or crude, but he goes in to take care of what he needs to take care of. Verse four, and the men of David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of, of Saul's robe privily or secretly, quietly. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Uh, before I go any farther, I just want to say this. Be careful. We often, especially if we've been hurt, we can justify our responses because it seems like, well, God just opened this door for me. That seemed like, his, it seems like, okay, God, I, I've been doing right for a decade. Now you want me to, it's my chance to kill him? Humanly speaking, that God, God brought him there. What are the chances to go into that cave where he is? By the way, it wasn't only David that could have thought that. His own men said to him, this is it. Go kill him. Get your revenge. May I just say this, no matter where you find yourself, where you're at, if you're hurting, whatever it is that you're walking through, you're struggling through, just because circumstances seem to dictate something, don't let your heart lead you there if it disagrees with God's word. I've said this before, and I've said it multiple times uh, to folks in counsel and things, God's will never contradicts God's word. And, and it seemed like the circumstances seemed like maybe you should kill him, but David knew that wasn't, this was, he was God's anointed and, and God would take care of him in his time. And notice what it says in verse number six. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth, still in humble service. 
and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee. Some told me to kill you. But mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, notice the words, My father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. The Lord, Lord, therefore, be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. What was David's response? Saul's treatment was unending cruelty. David's response was unbelievable godliness. Unbelievable godliness. Saul, I could have killed you. By the way, I would like to say this here. In the right time, David did confront toxic leadership. But he did it with the right spirit, with right motives, with the right heart. Not to seek to hurt Saul, but to seek to, to, to show Saul what are you, you're coming after a dead dog, a flea. Who am I? You've got the armies of Israel trying to kill me. Why? What did I do? You're my father. Why are we fighting? He did, and, and so sometimes, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed, and, and people want to use that to cover up sin and, and leadership and things of that nature. That's not the application here. And there is a time to confront unhealthy, ungodly leadership, but we ought to do it in a spiritual manner and in the right way and not, not repaying evil for evil, but righteousness for evil. And, and David's response was unbelievable godliness. The circumstances seemed to point to God saying revenge. God, David's comrades tried to convince him to revenge, but the ends don't justify the means. The wrong that has been done to you doesn't justify you doing wrong to others. Can I say that one more time? The wrong that has been done to you doesn't justify you doing wrong to others. Toxic leadership doesn't have to. It can, but it doesn't have to define you. The apple doesn't have to fall that close to the tree. We see that with Jonathan and David. You don't have to turn into your parents, the progressive commercial, when you buy a home. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And what do we see at the end here of this story or at the end of this passage, if you will? And by the way, pretty quickly, God is going to take Saul off the scene and, and David, David's gonna have another chance and we could have gone further. David's gonna have another chance to kill Saul and he's not gonna do it. For sake of time, we'll stop. You can continue to read 1 Samuel and see it for yourself. But what do we see here at the end of this passage? It may take years, but God rewards righteousness. Again, let evil refine you, not define you. Let hurt refine you, not define you. Use your hurts to help others. Isn't that what Christ did? He took the undeserved pain that others inflicted on him, and he used it to bring healing to others. You know what we'll be when we're Christ-like? Have you been hurt undeservedly by somebody? Maybe. You know when you'll be Christ-like? When you don't say, how can I hurt somebody else the way I've been hurt? Or how can I get back at the one that hurt me? No. How can I take the hurt I've received and use it to bring healing to others? Use it to help others. Do right no matter how misunderstood you are, even by family, friends, authorities. Others will see it and God will honor it. As we close, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. 
Have you had leaders doubt your potential? By way of review, trust God's power. Have you had leaders who were undeservedly harsh to you? What's your response? Show grace and wisdom. Have you had leaders, have you been a, a victim of prideful manipulation by an authority? What should be your response? Respond with humble service to your, to your true king, God. Have you endured unending cruelty? Respond with unbelievable godliness. <clears throat> I read this statement in a commentary in the last week or two. David, he was a, a, a mighty military man. David had won many battles in war, but one of his greatest victories occurred in that cave when he restrained himself and his men from killing Saul. David slew 200 Philistines. He killed Goliath. And maybe his greatest victory was not in the killing of somebody, but in the sparing of somebody's life. He that is slow to wrath, <coughs> the Bible says, is better than the mighty. He that ruled his own spirit than he that taketh a city. Leaders, let us be slow to wrath and vengeance. If shown spite and hate, show love and grace. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry. On spite and hate, show love and grace. As we close, I want you to see this psalm. I want us to read it aloud together. This psalm, this is the psalm, Psalm 57, that David wrote as he fled from Saul in the cave. I want you to read these words and hear his heart as you understand now all that he has been through. Psalm 57, let's read all 11 verses together aloud. Ready? Begin. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I want to stop right there. Where did David go in his times of fear and uncertainty? Under the wings of the Almighty God. You're hurting. You don't know what's coming. You've been hurt by somebody you love deeply. Run to God. Run to his refuge. Verse 2 aloud. Ready? Begin. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. What's his response? God, I've got people all against me and, and trying to destroy me. God, through all of that, would you be exalted? Verse 6, would you join me? Ready, begin. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. In the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Where did David turn when his soul was bowed down? When he had been hurt and hunted and, 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 and mistreated, when he endured harshness and, and unending cruelty and, and attempts on his life, what did he say over and over again there? God, I trust you. And would you be exalted through all of this? Would you be exalted through my life? I'm not going to quit, God. I'm going to sing praises and mercy. I'm going to get the instruments out. I'm going to get up early and bring you glory and praise. Where? In the cave running from the man trying to take his life. You might not be able to help from turning into your parents. And neither might I. But we can keep from turning into the toxic leadership traits that maybe we've seen in those in our lives. Toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. When mistreated like David was by Saul, respond like David did to Saul. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.